Tappers, what's up? It is the Friday edition of the Daily Tap for February 19th. Hope you guys are doing well, hanging in there. Another week down and hopefully getting closer to spring. Love that it was still light outside as I was kind of walking. Well, it wasn't really light. I guess it was dusk when I was walking my dog around 6 o'clock last night. I was like, all right, we're moving in the right direction. Who you know who's not moving in the right direction? The Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, but we'll we'll talk about that. Well, we're gonna kind of talk about why the next seven day seven games are the most important in the Mike Budenholzer era. We will talk about how the Brewers, as well as the Wisconsin Badger football side of it, are trying to get fans back in the stands, and why that is an encouraging step forward just in getting back to normal. And then lastly, we will mention the Badger basketball team who struggled mightily. Actually, well, yeah, we'll do some Badger basketball. But I also want to talk about why I think Marquette should look into scheduling a high-level non-conference opponent. Um, So we'll do that. I was like, like, ah, do I want to talk about the Badger loss? Because it's going to be a lot of the same. It's a broken record. But we will talk about that. We will also mention... Uh, some Marquette stuff at the end. So a little college basketball wrap us up this week, and then we'll be back at it again on Monday. All right, but let's start with the Bucks. So Milwaukee Bucks lost to the Toronto Raptors, uh, 110-96. to It was an ugly game for the Milwaukee Bucks. I think after Tuesday night, I think a lot of us thought, hey, all right, this Bucks team's going to sort of figure this out. They're going to kind of refresh. They they said not to panic. We're all not panicking. The loss to Toronto really in the on Tuesday night was, hey, Toronto got hot in the second half. The defense sucked, and the and the Bucks were Bucks struggled, and the Bucks could not really keep up. And we've seen the fourth quarter struggles from Milwaukee when they're trailing. They're 0 and 9 now. They're 0 and 10. Um, trailing in the fourth quarter. Um, That obviously needs to get fixed. Also, what needs to get fixed is the end of quarter issues that the Bucs keep having. One of the things that rolled the ball downhill on Thursday night was the Bucs could not stop Toronto late in the first quarter, and then everything avalanche from there. Toronto got out to a seven-point lead, and they never looked back. That was basically the start of the end for Milwaukee on Thursday night. So that stuff has to be fixed. But there's a line, the McConaughey line is you have to take a step back to move forward. But I I just want to move forward. I don't necessarily want to talk about the losing streak itself because I think we all get it at this point. We know the Bucs are in a bad spot. We know that probably do they lose all five games without Drew Holiday? Probably not. Like that Phoenix game, I think they blow out Phoenix. The Oklahoma City game, I think they probably win that too. The Toronto ones, I don't know. Maybe. Um, I guess because Holiday would have been on Fred Van Vliet, would that have made a difference on on Tuesday night? Perhaps. I will point this out about the Raptors, and this isn't me defending the Bucs, okay? So this isn't me carrying the water. I just want to point it out. The Raptors are playing like one of the best teams in basketball over the last 10 games. They have one of the best net ratings. They have one of the best net ratings over the last five games too. They are just playing really good basketball. The Raptors are one of the hottest teams in the Eastern Conference right there with the Brooklyn Nets. So I don't want us to forget that portion of it. Like I I understand, right? Like it's really easy. It's really easy 
for us to be like, all right, this this team, you know, sucks and the Bucks are, you know, they shouldn't be losing to the Raptors. Well, the Raptors are playing good basketball. Now, do you need to be playing better against the team you might see in the playoffs? Absolutely. Like, no question about it. Like, the fact that Mike Budenholzer made zero adjustments from game to game is concerning at best because you would have expected some adjustments to come and Mike Budenholzer sort of accepted what the Bucks are right now instead of trying to shake the apple tree up a little bit. And now he did in the third quarter by adding Thanasis. And I know Bucks Twitter is not a huge Thanasis fan, but look, Thanasis brought some energy. Thanasis gave a shit out there. And all of a sudden, he kind of lit a fire under everyone's ass that was out there. So I don't understand why you didn't throw Thanasis out there when things were trending in the wrong direction in the second quarter. So credit to Thanasis for A, being ready, but B, sort of bringing that fire and letting the Bucks sort of try to come back. Now, they never really got close. I don't even know if they got under double digits in the second half, but at least Thanasis brought some energy because the Bucks looked lifeless out there. So going back to Mike Budenholzer, a lot of people are ready for Mike Budenholzer to exit stage left. Now, podcast, I think Tapping the Keg 402, Mitch and I talked about the culture of wanting to fire everybody. I didn't look at Jim Polzine's mentions who always asked Twitter, like, what did you think about this game, Badger fans? But I'm sure there are Badger fans right now that want to fire Greg Gard, despite all the good things that Greg Gard has done, the recruiting class that Greg Gard has coming, where two of the guys are McDonald's All-American finalists, like... Greg Gard's done a really good job with this team. It's not his fault that his seniors regressed. It maybe is, but I don't know. Maybe these guys just weren't at the level of how the Big Big Ten has taken a step up. But this isn't about Greg Gard. This is about Mike Budenholzer. Everybody has a culture of wanting to fire their coach. Now, I've said, who are you going to get? I've agreed with this. I think Mitch and I have sort of aligned to this point of like, where's the next guy? Who is the next guy? I don't think any of us have that answer. Like, I don't know. Is it Darvin Ham? If it's Darvin Ham, well, all Darvin Ham has done is learn under Mike Boonholzer. Now, some people point out, like Taylor Jenkins learned under Mike Boonholzer, and he's a little bit different. I don't watch the Grizzlies enough to be like, hey, yeah, that's Bud's system, and then that's stuff that Taylor's doing on his own. Charles Lee is also another guy who has been under Bud for most of his career. So if the Bucks make a move, it's not like these guys are necessarily not bud guys. And if they're going to make a move, I think it has to be signed off by Giannis. And that is a real issue because Giannis probably, at, not probably, fuck that. He advocated for Mike Budenholzer to come back. Giannis is a loyal dude. If Jason Kidd was still the coach while Giannis had signed a Supermax, guess who'd be the coach right now? Jason Kidd. I know that's crazy to think, but Giannis is extremely loyal. They follow Giannis's lead. Unless Giannis tells John Horse, who they have a very close relationship with, don't forget that. And Giannis says, John, I don't think Mike should be the coach anymore. Alan Bud should be our coach. They're, they're not going to move without Giannis's approval. Now, if they tell Giannis that we think that this team needs a shot in the arm and they campaign for whether it's Darwin or Charles, maybe it, maybe there's a move made. Maybe there's a move made with the campaigning to kind of explain to Giannis how this can work. 
And Giannis, I would argue, maybe needs to get a little less loyal and become a little more selfish and start understanding like, hey, look, the Bucks aren't, this, this isn't helping me. But I'm not at the point yet to fire butt. I know everybody wants to. I know it's the trendy thing to do. I want. I know the avatar looks cool. Like, yeah, let's run it back. The fire kid avatars are back just in bud form. But I think these next seven games are the most critical for his coaching career for Milwaukee. He'll get another job. Like, if he gets fired in the next week or two, he's going to get a job next year if he wants it. He's just, he's that good. He's a good coach. He's just not, he, he may have hit his peak with the Bucks, and it might be over. And he, and now the diminishing return is on there. But the Bucks have a real chance in the next seven games to kind of make a statement and to say, all right, things are okay. Like, yeah, we had this five-game losing streak, but that is a blip on the radar. So these next seven are basically going, I, I don't want to be as dramatic to say that they'll decide the season, but we are getting to that point where I'm starting to wonder if they will decide the season, okay? Like, I'm getting to that point where I'm wondering, is this going to decide what we know about the Milwaukee Bucks for the rest of the season? Now, they play Oklahoma City tonight. They owe Oklahoma City one. This is a revenge game. The Bucks have thrived in the past in revenge games. There is no reason that Milwaukee shouldn't be able to deliver the hammer down to Oklahoma City tonight. Like, I understand that Oklahoma City has played better. Now, granted, after they beat the Bucks, they went on and lost to Portland and Memphis by double digits in both both scenarios. Um, I don't know if Shy Gilgis Alexander played in that. He did play. So I would expect you to have Shy Gildas Alexander back in this game. Who knows if J- if Drew Holiday is going to be able to come back yet. We haven't heard, as I've mentioned before, it's not been reported, but it's pretty understood that he has COVID. So it's the question of, is he going to be, is he able, is he healthy? Is it a situation where you're going to have to bring him off the bench, at least to start and kind of warm up his minutes? Uh, The Bucs obviously remember when Bledsoe and Connaughton had it before the bubble, they were very cautious with sort of bringing those guys back and they sort of brought them back very slowly. I would imagine the same process will be done with Holiday. But like I said, the Bucs have a chance to bounce back pretty easily against Oklahoma City tonight. It's not going to be, you know, Oklahoma City's scrappy. They're tough. And and they didn't have Al Horford against Memphis. and He rested. I guarantee you Al Horford is going to want to play against Giannis because he's going to want to make a case to an NBA Eastern Conference team that, hey, maybe we should trade for Al Horford. If I were the Raptors, the Raptors were interested in Drummond earlier this week per Shams Shams Sarania. I should just call him Shams. Per Shams, not Shams Per Shams. Uh, and they should trade for Al Horford. If they, if anybody they should trade for is Al Horford. Like Al Horford and Nick Nurse's system, I think, would be really good. And I actually think that makes the Raptors a really interesting squad. If you have Al Horford at the four, Baines at the five, you rotate Boucher in. I don't know. I think that makes the Raptors really good. Oh, and Siak- Siakam too. I guess the four would be Siakam. But if you had Siakam and Horford, I mean, that's pretty solid, right? Like, I, I don't know. That's what I would do if I were the Raptors. Like, I would trade for Al Horford more so than trading for Andre Drummond. I just think Andre Drummond's too slow to compete. I know he can ball with Embiid, but still, I'd, I'd have some concerns there. So, yes, Oklahoma City tonight. 
We'll see what happens there. And then after that, you Sacramento is up next for Milwaukee on Sunday night. Now that will be a back-to-back for Sacramento as they play the Bulls on Saturday. They have also lost five straight. Sacramento, after kind of having a little bit of where, oh, hey, maybe, maybe the Kings are all right. Maybe they're good. They've went and kind of regressed. Their defense has been really bad. Again, another team where it could be a get-right spot for the Bucks. So if the Bucks end up being two and two this week, it'll be a weird feeling, right? You're being like, well, they did lose five straight and technically they've lost five of their last seven, but now they've won two straight. Then they get Minnesota on Tuesday. Again, Minnesota, a very beatable team for Milwaukee. Carl Anthony Towns has not done well against Giannis in the past. It is a bad matchup for Cat. He doesn't play that much defense. You add Giannis to the mix, and Giannis has owned his ass in the past. So again, okay, that's three straight games that you should probably win. You're going to be favored by double digits in all three games. There is no reason that the Bucs shouldn't win those next three games. So they win those next three games. They're back up to 19 and 13. Then you have a very interesting stretch to finish off before the All-Star break. You have New Orleans and then you have the Clippers. Now, New Orleans offense has been unbelievable recently. It's been just dynamic. Zion's been a beast. It's been really fun to watch. The fact, but... They're also one of the, they are the worst defensive team. So their offense has been great. Their defense has not. Now, Bucks again, owe New Orleans. That is a revenge spot for Milwaukee. They will want to deliver the hammer. LA is an afternoon game, day Giannis, but also early game for the Clippers as they will be on a 12, it'll be really like 1230. Internal clocks might not be there for the Clips. So I don't know, maybe that's a game that, that is kind of a toss-up. But if you're able to, say, go one-and-one one in that stretch with New Orleans and the Clippers or in Denver. So you play Denver then on Tuesday. Denver is kind of struggling as well. Uh, right now, the eighth seed in the West. But if you can go two-and-three in that stretch, and then you have Memphis to finish it off. So if you go three-and-one in that stretch. So if the Bucks win their next seven, six of seven, are we really going to be thinking about this five-game losing streak? So the Bucks win. So that would mean they're twenty-two and fourteen to finish the year. It's not that bad. Like right now, the Nets and Sixers are both seven games above five hundred. Twenty-two and fourteen would be pretty good for Milwaukee, and would kind of look at Milwaukee kind of having a refresh. But that's that's positive, Chuck. Right? Like that's how I am. Like I'm just a positive guy. I'm always going to kind of give you the positive side first. What if they lose tonight to Oklahoma City and they lose their sixth straight game? I don't know. I don't know what happens. There really isn't that much time between these games. Like they don't have really a long layoff. They're kind of playing every other night, kind of, I guess, the New Orleans to LA. So they play New Orleans on the 25th and then they don't play LA till the 28th. Both are nationally televised. I will say this. If, say, the Bucs in the next five games, if they go two and three in that stretch, or, I mean, maybe even three and two, but two and three, if they go two and three or one and four, something like that, with two nationally televised games, and the Bucs don't look energized in those nationally televised games, I think a move will be on its way. And they might wait till after the all, they might wait till the all star break and make the move then, but I think it's going to happen. Because I look at this and I say, all right, you have at least five winnable games in this in this group. 
there are five winnable games. There, I mean, I can't expect you to win every game. I know if the Bucks turn around and win seven straight, I, I think everyone will be feeling kind of odd, right? But if they win five of their next seven, I think a lot of people would be okay with that. Now it might save Bud's job, quote unquote. But that might be a situation where we're just not getting rid of Bud until after the season. Um, and you're just going to have to ride it out. And I understand that'll frustrate a lot of fans, but you're going to have to ride it out. And there might be nothing you can do. I think the only way a coaching change happens, if you lose to if you lose two or three to Oklahoma City, Sacramento, and Minnesota with two nationally televised games on deck, yeah, I, I don't know how, I don't know if Bud escapes that. that. So I don't know if you want to cheer for losing. I personally don't. Um, and I, cause I just don't think a coaching change is going to make like the, it's not going to take the bucks over the top. You know, it might next year, but I don't know if it's going to this year. And if it, if it does next year, it could be like, you know, that McCarthy LaFleur thing that we saw in green Bay where they just sort of hit their peak and they needed a change, but I, I'm not there yet with this version of the Milwaukee bucks. Moving on to COVID safety protocols. So yes, COVID Chuck, as some have called me, um, is back. Um, I talked a lot about COVID early in my early in the pandemic. I think there wasn't just a lot to talk about, so you were, you know, kind of ingesting all that news. And I realized that none of you gave a fuck about my COVID takes, so I stopped doing it. And then. We have kind of now transitioned to all these sports teams looking to get fans back. Basically, we need our money and we need it now. The Milwaukee Brewers submitted a proposal to the Health and Safety Commission. It was 350 pages. It, they're looking for about 15,000 to 16,000 fans maxed. They are also going to have everybody wearing masks, of course. Uh, if they're not eating, actively eating or drinking is what the Brewers note says. Tailgating would be allowed, which I love. I wrote a blog about that today. I think that is so smart, um, by the way, because A, I think it's going to bring the casual fan back, first of all. It's like, hey, we can tailgate, but we have to wear a mask in the stadium. Will anyone really Will anyone really care is my first, first opinion. Now, granted, you're going to give it a lot to season ticket holders. So I don't know how many general tickets will be available from a game-to-game basis you know obviously the stub hubs where it's like hey do you want to go you know hit a bar shuttle and go watch the brewers on a monday night i think there will be a lot of interest at least from my friend group on doing stuff like that because it's just they have that ability right like you had you didn't have that available last year i don't know if that's gonna that chance is gonna be there often but you never know and I have no problem rocking a mask watching the Brewers. I really don't. I, I think everybody at this point should be all right with it. I do think it's going to be a really interesting discussion. But let's, let's not go there. I, I'll go there at the end. But I, I no, just fuck it. I think it's going to be an interesting discussion when more people are vaccinated. So what happens when we have, you know, half the people are vaccinated in June like at some point, you're going to have to release the mask mandate. And I think there's going to be this struggle where you have half the country, half the state vaccinated and half of it not. And it's like, well, are you going to need to wear, like, are you going to need to show your vaccination like card to be like, hey, I cannot wear a mask. Like, I'm okay. Or is it just going to be accepted that 
COVID rates are so low, you still might catch COVID. If you're not wearing a mask, we recommend you wearing a mask. But we understand if you don't, just understand the risks. I have no idea if we're going to give that much freedom. I doubt it, right? Like, But it might be the choice of the business. So it might be the brewer's choice to say, hey, we want you wearing a mask like when you're not at your seat or who knows. It'll, that to me is the next like step here. But the first step is getting fans back. And it seems like the Brewers have a good plan. I, I have no idea what the Health and Safety Commission could say that would alter it. I think 350 pages is pretty comprehensive. I understand that we don't allow fun in COVID, like you can't have fun, but there's no reason you can't tailgate with that amount of fans because you can easily separate it. I think there'll be others that will take bar shuttles and that's great to see that you know, those bars will be able to sort of have their business again, like really happy for guys like uh, Jackson's Blue Ribbon over there or JMB's, sorry, JMB's, not the one that was like anti-mask in Tosa, but JMB's, Kelly's Bleachers, Dugout 54, like all those spots are great. McGinn's, which I think is still hopefully still there. Um, you know, all those places are great to a, eat, but also to take their shuttles. I'm more of a bar shuttle guy. So having that that capability is great. It's great for the rideshare people. Just the stadium being open alone at that capacity is a normal Monday through Thursday if the Cubs aren't in town sort of crowd. Like those are normal crowds Monday through Wednesday, 15 to 16K, especially early in the season. Now, when it gets a little nicer, you're pro- and if the Brewers are good, you're probably looking at more of a 30,000 crowd. But 15 to 16K in April and May is going to feel pretty normal for these guys. And I'm sure the Brewers are going to structure their pods so that the fans can be loud, so fans can be heard in the stadium. So it's not going to be one of those situations where they're so so far separated. I I understand maybe the barrier, right, to keep sort of the fans, but if you have the, you know, fencing, is that going to prevent it a little bit, especially if you're wearing masks? Like I've no I've no reason why fans can't be close to the Brewers. I understand maybe the exposure and maybe a step up, but I don't know. We'll see what they do. I'm very curious to see how it looks. Now the Wisconsin Badgers as well have said they're going to be fans back for fall. Badgers are pretty confident. Now Dane County compared to Milwaukee County is night and day from, you know, how they're doing COVID. Like they are very strict. I think they're more strict than Milwaukee County. I don't know this entirely. I'm just basing it on politics, knowing how, you know, they are taking it and how they've, their approach so far. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like for the Badgers. My guess is that Badger football will take what the Bucks did what the Brewers did, what the Packers did, combine it all together. I also think they're going to wait until as late as possible to see what happens with mask mandates, what happens with crowd mandates, all the different stuff that is there. I think it would be ambitious to think that you can get a full crowd in Camp Randall to start the year, but I don't know if it's out of the question especially when David Baker of the NFL Hall of Fame said that they expect a full crowd for Cowboys and Steelers in Canton, Ohio. Now, that stadium holds about 25,000 people, but still, that's the first time we've heard anyone talk about a potential full crowd. And if there is a real lean from the NFL that full crowds could happen in August, then it might be possible in college too. And there might be a real chance. Now, these college stadiums, I mean, 
Canton compared to Camp Randall. Camp Randall is, I think it's two times bigger. Yeah, because it's like 75,000. So I don't know. Maybe they won't have that ability. Maybe they're only going to be able to do, I don't know, 75,000, 75% or 75%. Yeah, 75%. Maybe that's what they're going to go with. I, I doubt it'll be like 50%. I think 75 is a good bet. I think they're going to wait on the vaccine news to see what happens. Because I think as the vaccine news gets more positive every day, you see news like Anthony Fauci other day said, hey, we don't think that this is going to, this. if you get vaccinated, we don't think you can spread COVID, which it makes sense, right? Because that's every other vaccine. You get vaccinated for something, you can't spread it. Like if you get vaccinated for measles, you can't fucking spread the measles to other people or polio or any of the other ones you get. So it makes sense, right? Um, it, I, I think you're going to see, I, I think there's at least going to be 75%. I would be surprised if it's anything less than that. Um, but I'm always a overly ambitious guy on this stuff. And also too, getting married at the end of August. So I want to see this because I think that that would be a sign that we can have a full wedding with our friends. And if you're wondering if we're going to do a post-wedding podcast, talk to, talk to my groomsmen. If my groomsmen set it up, I'll put it this way. If my groomsmen set up Mike studio and wanting to do a recap podcast after the wedding, I will do it. Now, will I remember it? Probably not. Um, I, but I also too, like, you don't want to get like hammered at your wedding. Well, like you, you can get hammered, but you don't want to get like being dragged out by your mom or something like that. Not that I know any friends of mine who did that. Um, but anyways, (laughs) um, yeah. So you, you want to, I don't know. I'll do, I will do it. If they set it up, I will do it. If they are like, all right, Charlie, we're going to do this in this room. We're going to get your thoughts, get everything on paper. We'll see. And then we'll, I'll listen back and say, can I publish this or can I not? So stay tuned on that. Same with the bachelor party, right? Or Murph's thing next weekend. You know, there are always good spots for podcasts, but that those are all situations where it's like, yeah, don't get fired. Don't, don't let your day job hear this and be like, ah, should you be posting this? I don't know. We'll see. All right. Let's wrap up with college hoops very quickly here. Not very quickly. We got a little time. But anyways, Badgers lost again. Uh, they lose to Iowa. They've now lost two straight. The Badgers are 7-7 seven and seven since Christmas Day. That's bad. That's not a winning basketball team. Now, obviously, people are mad at Greg Gard, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast. So whose fault do you really put on this season right now? Where, where, do you, where does your kind of fault meter go? For me personally, I think we talked about it on a podcast. I I know I wrote about it, but Brad Davidson has been terrible this year. Now he had a good game against Iowa. He had five threes, but Brad Davidson has been really bad. Nate Reavers has been worse. The fact that you are not getting that production out of Nate Reavers, who I believe last year was an all big 10 player, or he was damn close to it. And now he's just disappeared is really something. And I don't know if it's the fans. I don't know if it's just because he's like locked down with COVID stuff that like he isn't able to sort of live his life. And, you know, there's some mental stuff going on with him. But Nate Reavers is a completely different player. And the fact that the Badgers can't get anything out of Nate Reavers is part of the problem here. 
and why Wisconsin is a good, not great team. And I said that after the Michigan loss, and I'll reiterate it. And I think it's even more on display against a team like Iowa. Iowa is not good defensively. In a way, this could have been a get-right spot for the Badgers' offense. That the Badgers could have figured out some things, let Garza do his thing, but made it close at the end and see what happened. And Iowa steamrolled them, especially in the second half. And Garza had his way in the first half and sort of set the tone. And it was not Badger basketball. They did not play the way they wanted to. And against these good teams, besides that Michigan first half, they have not been able to play at their pace. They've not been able to play the way they want. And so does is that a coaching thing or is that a player thing? Is it just that Wisconsin right now against the top competition in the Big Ten cannot compete? And that last year, while the Big Ten was good last year, it, I think, leveled up this year. And I don't think the Badgers came with them. Like, I think it leveled up. Like, I think Ohio State took a step up. I think Iowa took a step up. I think Illinois took a step up. Michigan, for sure, took a step up. I don't think Wisconsin joined them. And that's why Wisconsin's on that second tier. But I I, I don't think that that's like a Greg Gard thing. I just think that's a player thing. And I, and I, I know that I've been critical of Gard in the past. And I've said, you know, I, I wondered out loud about his job last year before they went on their large run. But I just look at this team and I, I don't think that it's it's coaching. I, I really think it's the players you have. And I just don't think that they're good enough to play in this version of the Big Ten. And maybe I'm wrong. You know, I could be. I, it, it's possible. I could look like an idiot here in a, in a few weeks and the Badgers could go on a run and then they're in the lead eight. And I'm like, well, finally this Badger team hit its potential. And, when, and that's kind of the crazy thing, right? Because there's still time for Wisconsin to figure this out. Like it's not all lost here. They still have a game against Illinois at home. They still play Iowa again. They play Purdue. Um, they have opportunities to sort of get hot. Like this is, it's not over for Wisconsin. Right now it's bad. I would say this is kind of the low point of the season. Now, if you lose to Northwestern on Sunday, that is that is officially the low point because you've lost three straight. You've lost to a really bad Northwestern team and you're probably looking more at a seven or an eight seed. But you can recover from this. If you, if you go through and you kick the shit out of everybody in the Big Ten tournament where Wisconsin has been excellent in the last, you know, in their, in the Greg Gard, even the Bo Ryan days, like Wisconsin's just really good in the Big Ten tournament. I don't know why. I think it's because teams don't have time to prep for the kind of the the pace and the way and it's multiple games. And I think the way Wisconsin plays kind of fits into that tournament lifestyle. So maybe you get hot there. So I, I would say if you're a Badger fan right now and bummed out, I get it right? Like, look, I know I'm a Marquette fan. I've, I've been bummed out all fucking year, but I, I'd also say there's time and I, I would not overreact at this point. It just maybe reset your expectations and hope that Nate Reavers comes out of this, whatever funk he's in. Lastly, let's just really quickly on Marquette. 
I was seeing some stuff. Uh, Alan Baikowski, um, Brian, who's also a follower, who's private, so I, I won't put his last name out there because it's private on Twitter. Um, they pointed out that Marquette could really kind of make some waves with a quad one sort of game. Like they could play a quad one game and as fucked up as it sounds, Marquette could make a case to make a run at the, the NCAA tournament. Now the question is, will Marquette do that? Now Marquette has not been shy about scheduling and the Big East would allow it. Now Brian pointed out that Loyola does not play during that time. Now Loyola, I would say probably doesn't need the help. Like I think Marquette would need it more from Loyola. It'd be very interesting matchup to see if Marquette could beat Loyola. But if Marquette were to have Loyola as a win on their resume, and then follow it up with a win at UConn. And I think they also play, who they play? They play They play Xavier. They play Xavier, I think, to finish off the year. Marquette could potentially build a case to get into the NCAA tournament. I know that sounds nuts. And I, and I was like completely out on it. But Alan, who does a lot of sort of bracketology stuff, has said like, look, there is a... There is a real chance that that could happen. So if, yeah, they have Xavier, UConn, DePaul. Now, it would be very Marquette, very Steve Wojciechowski if Marquette were to, say, schedule a game against Loyola in this kind of off period. They play Loyola. They beat Loyola. Then they beat UConn on the road, who now is James Booknight back. And then they lose to DePaul. That would be perfect. It really would. Like, that would be such a perfect ending to the Steve Wojciechowski era. Now, some fans could argue, do you even want this? Because if Marquette gets hot here at the end, kind of just what we were talking about with the Badgers, there will be a case that Michael Lovell might say, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to get rid of Wojo. He finished strong. And all of a sudden, Wojo is like off the hot seat, which would suck, which I think nobody wants right now. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens. And so so to add to that, if Wojo is feeling, I think we'll know, I'll end it here. I think we'll know if Wojo thinks he's on the hot seat, if he, in fact, schedules a game against a major opponent, like a Loyola. If he plays like a Loyola team, then I know Wojo thinks he's on the hot seat because then Wojo is trying to get hot right before the tournament. If he schedules like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like a quad three team, like an example, like an Illinois State, right? They're playing all right basketball or like Bradley, who is Brian Wardle uh, with former Marquette player who coaches that team. If they schedule like a Bradley or a, or Illinois State, then I know like maybe he feels protected or whatever. And maybe maybe that's that's just how it is. But we'll see what happens. I'm very curious uh, to see what Marquette does. All right, guys. That does it for today. That does it for the week. Hope you guys have a good weekend. We'll be back Monday with, I'm sure, some Bucks talk because they play two games, Oklahoma City tonight and Sacramento on Sunday evening. So we'll be back talking that. And who knows what else? Maybe a certain guy is going to sign with the Packers. I don't know. All right, take care. Have a good one. Bye.